Welcome to the Middle Tech Podcast, this region's leading business podcast, shining a light on technology, entrepreneurship, and the future of business in Kentucky and beyond. Our goal is to advance the ecosystem by bringing attention to the founders, changemakers, innovators, and those supporting them. Middle Tech's content can be found on your favorite podcast streaming app, social channels, and YouTube. We encourage you to follow and participate in the conversation. Let's discuss and build the future. Welcome back to the Mill Tech Podcast. You've got Evan Knowles and Logan Jones here. Uh, this was an exciting episode that we've been waiting for a while to record. Uh, we sat down with WIFL, so Women, Innovators, Founders, and Leaders. It was uh, a conversation with Laura Halligan and Meredith Moore. Uh, so there is an obvious and increasing need for more conversation around diversity, especially in the technology and entrepreneurship space. Um, and we sat down and had that conversation. So women and minorities are underrepresented, uh, and there's a lot of reasons why that is. But we need to have more conversations about how to fix it and what the actual problems are behind the scenes that are leading to this misrepresentation uh, of minorities and women. Uh, so the conversation around diversity is important because in order to have a successful business and have innovation, uh, you've got to have diversity. You've got to have uh, all walks of life. You've got to have all backgrounds and all perspectives in order to build uh, a product that is you know, innovative and it tackles issues from different angles. And so you've got to have those people in place to build healthy, innovative cultures. Uh, and so we had a conversation about you know, a lot of the topics that um, I just mentioned. But Logan, why don't you walk through kind of the exact things we talked about? Yeah. Throughout our conversation, we discussed things like what is WIFL as the acronym is, is pronounced uh, and what their mission is. Uh, we talk about what diversity actually looks like. Sometimes you hear the word diversity and you have a bunch of different preconceived notions about what diversity could actually be, but there's a lot of different definitions and it kind of depends on who you're talking to and in what context. Um, so we dive into the different parts of diversity and how you can foster that within your own uh, organization or within your company. Um, we talked about why women are under, underrepresented in technology and entrepreneurship spaces. I think that's something that you know we at Middle Tech have seen uh, as we try to go out and, and get a representative sample of the founders within this startup community you know, we really have to go out and search for those, uh, the women founders and leaders that are in, within this community. So I think this was a good start. Uh, even though we have had some good women founders on this on this podcast, we want to have more. And I think this was a good place to start that conversation and uh, talk a little bit about how we can go about doing that. Uh, we also talked about how we can improve over time. So not only middle tech and how the, the guests we have on, but the startup community as a whole. And we talked about what Kentucky as an entire state needs to do going forward to encourage more of this diversity. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest, it's, it's one of those topics that as a straight white male, it's a little bit uncomfortable to talk about just because it's something that I haven't had to face regularly, like, like women and like minorities have had to face. Uh, so trying to educate myself and put myself in those uncomfortable positions is something that I put a lot of value on. So this conversation was really rewarding for me to kind of not not really get called out because I definitely see the value in diversity, um, but to hear those different perspectives 
and just engage in that kind of back and forth conversation. I find a lot of value in that. So this was a really good interview. Just personally for me, I really enjoyed the conversation with with Laura and Meredith. Um, we hope you guys get a lot of value out of this as well. Um, but before we dive into this, just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors here. Um, so as always, we've got Land Betterment. We're super grateful for their sponsorship. And as you guys know, Land Betterment is providing sustainable business solutions by um, taking abandoned strip mines and putting sustainable businesses in their place. So you guys can learn more about them on episode 97, or you can visit them at landbetterment.com. Yep. Uh, next sponsor is Johnson Law Group. Uh, so Brandon Johnson uh, is a great lawyer and attorney that I suggest reaching out to if you have any kind of needs related to starting your company, as far as incorporation documents go, as far as restricted stock agreements go, whatever it might be that you need uh, an attorney for, uh, I suggest you reach out to Brandon. Uh, he's uh, from Kentucky. He went to college in Kentucky, and he loves helping Kentucky-based businesses. He has with uh, numerous Kentucky-based businesses from Mobile Slugger to WeatherCheck uh, to Instagram influencers. Uh, so if you or somebody you know need some help on the legal side of things, definitely suggest reaching out to him. Uh, go to middletech.com slash Johnson Law Group. Middletechpod.com slash Johnson Law All right, we're sitting here in Awesome Inc. studio with Wiffle, women, innovators, f- founders, and leaders. We're sitting here with Laura Halligan uh, and Meredith Moore. So Laura is the executive director at Launch Blue and new venture manager at the Office of OTC at UK. So that stands for the Office of Technology Commercialization, for those of you that don't know. And she's also the co-founder of Wiffle. Uh, Meredith is the director of operations and community partnerships at Base 110 and owner of Cultivated Creature and founder of Shift Lexington and co-founder of Wiffle as well. So very busy women here. Uh, welcome, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate you taking the time to jump on. Uh, before we get into to Wiffle or anything related to uh, you know women in tech uh, and startups, let's talk about your old backgrounds. So, Laura, why don't you start, talk about you know where you're from and professional background up until, let's say, today. All right. So I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee. I moved around a lot, um, ended up going to high school here in Kentucky over in um, Cornerstone Christian Academy over in, in Shelbyville. I started at Midway University back when it was Midway Women's College. Mm-hmm. Then I got married and transferred to Troy University where I graduated with my bachelor's in science and then ended up moving around quite a lot with my husband's career in the military and, and wound up serving in different nonprofit roles. And eventually, uh, he transitioned out of the military and into Harvard uh, Law and Kennedy School. And at that time, I transitioned to to MIT, which is how I entered higher education and eventually began my journey in in, um, entrepreneurship and innovation. And so at the time I was at MIT, I was also at Harvard Extension School um, studying finance for my master's degree and working at the MIT Innovation Initiative. So that's kind of how that's kind of my professional background and a quick and dirty yeah. um, background for me. MIT is kind of a, a place that people always that, are, that have never been kind of just hear and there's like an aura about it. So yep. real quickly, tell us what it's like to be around MIT and what the energy was like. Um, so I started at the McGovern Institute for Brain Research. And I think working there and just kind of getting involved in in the ecosystem at MIT, everyone has entrepreneurship kind of in the background of their mind. 
Uh, so when I was at the McGovern Institute, uh, Fang Zhang, who's one of those creators known for inventing CRISPR technology and, and, and applying it to human humans, is one of the innovators and one of the faculty researchers there at the McGovern Institute at MIT. And so um, watching him and, and seeing that process just as a fly on the wall uh, was a, a fascinating experience. And then during that time, I was recruited to come over to the MIT Innovation Initiative, which was just being formed, which sits under the office of the provost at MIT, and having, having the opportunity to help stand up that initiative in my role there was really exciting. And it's, you know, the culture of innovation entrepreneurship is just underlying throughout the whole university. And so it was a fascinating experience and a great introduction into this entire world of entrepreneurship and innovation. Yeah, I'm sure that the technology and the research that goes on at a place like MIT, I'm sure that it's just in the air there. It is. And all the discovery and uh, excitement that, that comes along with that as well. Right. And so one of, um, and I, I guess we can get into this later, but one of the first things that we did at the MIT Innovation Initiative was mapping the MIT ecosystem because no one had a full understanding of how that ecosystem was really developed and all of the many different resources that were available and the programming that was available. And so one of the things that we set out to do in my first six months was map and document and create a resource guide for that ecosystem and in just internal to the university. And we found over 82 different programs, departments, labs, centers, and student groups focused in innovation and entrepreneurship. And so we met with all of them in that first year and really tried to understand how students, especially startups, moved through that ecosystem and got involved in entrepreneurship and innovation. And so um, that was like my trial by fire. And it was a it was a great experience. Yeah, very interesting. I'm sure we could have a full conversation about <laughs> MIT and all the cool things going on there. But let's dive into in the Meredith's background here. So fill us in on your background and your professional career up to this point. Yeah, so um, I'm originally from Alabama. Um, my undergrad, I went to SCAD, so the Savannah College of Art and Design, Savannah, Georgia. So my background's really um, in design. Undergrad in graphic design, thought I was going to be this really big shot designer and, you know, everybody would worship the designs that I make. Turns out I enjoy design, but that's not my strongest quality. Ended up moving to Kentucky for a job. I got a gig at Lexmark as an in-house designer. So that moved me up to Kentucky over 10 years ago now, believe it or not. While I was there, I got to touch a lot of different types of design. So just that ecosystem, anything from, you know, your web design, software design, app design, the interface, the UI, all that kind of stuff. So great overlap. But it also gave me an idea of, you know, project management, account, account management, the different teams and that whole ecosystem. Um, so about three years into that, I decided to actually go back to school and get my master's um, to pick up a bit more on the, the business side of things. While I was at Lexmark, I did um, start Shift Lexington. So I moved up here. I didn't know anybody. I missed being around a ton of creatives. And I, you know, looked around for a couple months and I was like, I'm just going to make a group. And that's where Shift came from. Um, So it's had its ups and its downs throughout the past 10 years, really just based off of my own personal bandwidth. Mm -hmm. But what it comes down to is just being around creative people and having those great, inspiring conversations. And whenever we get together, either for like a more themed or organized event or if we're just doing like a happy hour. It's just great to just have those conversations. So that's where Shift was born and it still kind of coexists amongst everything else that I do today. So creative side there, opted to go. I went back to SCAD, but online this time, got my master's, still working at Lexmark and then decided to kind of finish school and start the freelance world. So um, took my creative side, did some freelance graphic design, and then started dabbling in like the creative project management world. So working with local agencies, the small agencies, one, two, three people who 
would get overloaded. And I had a nice little skill set of both the account side and the creative side. So I could kind of pick up both sides, you know, and I did that for a couple years, dabbled in some agency work on the project management side. And then by luck met, uh, well, I've known Randall for years, but Tim Gathery with Base 110. And he came to one of my shift events. And he's like, you know, you have just the right skill set that we've been looking for. Let's have a conversation. So it brought me into Base 110. And I was like, yes, this is kind of the perfect blend of what I love. You know, I didn't know I had the entrepreneurial side, but through everything that kind of became obvious. Um, still get to do the creative side because I'm doing all of our brands and marketing um, at Base 110. And then we're kind of just crafting stuff as we go. So it's the perfect blend of all the things that keep me motivated and excited. So awesome. Yeah, it's been fun. And just to, to give a quick plug to Base 110, that's another awesome co-working space here in, in Lexington. You guys have just opened a new part of it, right? Yeah, we're expanding. So Base 249 um, is our newest 100% co-working space right here on Main Street. We're, we're neighbors one way or the n- another here um, to Awesome Inc. So it's great because we can collaborate and walk down the street and um, make some great stuff happen. But yes, we finally got it. COVID made things a little tricky last year. We added a new floor. We're like, yeah, let's open up a new space. And then we're like, mm, let's wait a sec. So now we're picking it back up and we're, we're very hopeful with um, this next year that people will be eager to get out in some capacity and work together. Absolutely. Well, cool. Well, let's start uh, getting into, into Wiffle here. So, you know, the reason uh, we wanted to have you guys on in the first place, you know, amongst because of your backgrounds and everything else now involved you are in the community uh, is because if you go through our guest list, you're going to see a lot of guys names. And it's something we've noticed. It's something our guests have noticed. There's not as much diversity in the tech space as I think all of us would like there to be. So let's take that kind of theme and tell us a little bit about the origin story of of how Wiffle got started and we'll take it from there. Gosh. Well, so Laura and I both started our roles around the same time. You joined um, OTC and I joined Base 110. So like September, October, what, 2019? And so we met through Startup Breakfast. And so, you know, we got introduced and we were finding our ways through our new jobs. And we ended up just having some, I think, we, you know, we were matched made in heaven, like, and have become partners in crime across a lot of things. But um, we clicked early, um, but we bonded over these conversations. We go to these business events, these leadership events, and we look around and we're maybe one of two, three, four women yeah. in the audience, not speaking on a panel or, you know, so it's, it's pretty obvious once you kind of get into that. And, um, you know, we commiserated a little and we did some research to see, you know, well, what resources are there available in central Kentucky that really focus on women in business and leadership? And there's a couple little organizations, but nothing quite felt like what we were searching for. And gosh, I don't even remember. I think it, we were just like, we're going to start something. What are we yeah. going to call it? <laughs> we, we met at Harvey's Bar for a drink. Oh, that's right. Yes. Because I think it was right before, it was a couple of months, we had just had a, um, a Global Entrepreneurship Week planning meeting. And we had linked up to think about how we could have an event for, for women. And we were like, we were surprised at how few events are really focused on women in entrepreneurship. And I was like, we should start something. And so we yep. we did. Um, that first week in GEW, we held our first networking event for Global Entrepreneurship Week, and we did our first Wiffle event, and it's been going ever since. Yeah. And so we started, it was originally, what is it, Women Innovators and Founders of Lexington. So we were starting 
yep. local. And over the past, you know, year and some change, we realized, especially with, and we can talk about that later, but the COVID and moving to Zoom, we, the reach is much bigger. And so we took advantage, but Wiffle stuck. It was kind of one of those funny, we were trying to brainstorm good names. Naming's like the hardest thing too. Hardest I mean, thing. <laughs> I'm sure you guys so know. Um, so we brainstormed, we did some research, we asked people and, you know, this was descriptive enough and broad enough. I think that it captured what we were looking for. But like, I don't know, it might've been Eric or somebody who actually coined the term Wiffle. Yeah. And it's just kind of stuck. And now we, you know, it's, it's, it's part of our whole personality. And, you know, we call, we call folks who attend with lights. So there's a little, there's fun to it. But yeah, so we kicked it off Global Entrepreneurship Week 2019. We started very casual. So just providing a space, low entry point, really, you know, like yeah. low pressure. You don't have to feel like you have to be on. You have to be super like dressed up and professional or bringing, being on your A game. Just come and find a community of women in business or in leadership or just like you to just start to find something really approachable and to, to start to make a little dent in that gap that we were noticing. Um, we had a really good turnout. I forget exactly how many. I mean, it was it was nice. And I mean, the feedback that we got, we had such good, like really powerful conversations. Mm-hmm. And it was just really apparent that people have been wanting a place to be able to talk about some of this stuff, you know, whether it's I mean, and we had everything across the board. So like women who were in management positions at corporations, women uh, who are freelancers, freelancers, um, yes. women who are in tech, women who are innovators in, in the research at, at university. We had a broad we ha- and we wanted a broad audience. That's why we, we try to keep the name broad is we didn't want it to be exclusive and so, and Wiffle has continued that, but we had a, we have, and we continue to have a broad audience of people from different backgrounds in business. Sounds a lot like the origin story of, of middle tech, where it's like you recognize the gap, you know, the gap that we noticed was just lack of media attention, lack of conversation in the media. You guys notice a, a gap the same way. So how can people like participate in this? You know, you mentioned that you guys are doing zoom meetings. What does it look like when you guys get together? You guys doing programming? Talk about that. Yeah. So originally, what is it? The fourth Thursday of every month is kind of our set time at 4 p.m. Originally, we were meeting in person and doing a happy hour, and we intentionally wanted it to be a space for women. So we were a little specific of, sorry, guys, you can't join us for this this hour or two. But then COVID happened, and we pivoted to Zoom like everybody else. But it gave us an opportunity to start to spotlight the women that have been joining our community. And so we would reach out to someone and ask, hey, like, can we have a conversation with you? Can we spotlight you? It can either be teaching something um, or talking about your professional journey or a lot of them just defaulted to an interview. Like we'd send out a list of, you know, some high level questions or stuff that we've noticed about them that we think would be valuable and then just have a really simple conversation and then kind of open it up to the group. So this year, I think we're really excited because we've noticed there's value in having the really casual hangouts. There's value in being able to spotlight and have these conversations with the community. Um, So we're eventually going to pivot to a nice hybrid of the two. But then kind of a third avenue kind of came about when we realized we also need to have it be inclusive to open up the conversation to the entire entrepreneur community. So having men join the conversation and folks who are really, because we've gotten some really great questions and um, people wanting to be like, I recognize these things, but like, I don't know what to do, or I don't know how to approach the subject, or what do I do next? Or can I come? And, you know, like, so we wanted to have that space for our women but then also broaden it to the community. So actually, March is our first all-inclusive, all-gendered event. <laughs> so let's kind of walk through diversity and this whole topic. And But let's start with like the foundation. 
So in my eyes, the best place to start as a foundation is, is just what's the state of Kentucky right now as far as you know, women that are in uh, founder roles or leadership roles. Do you guys have any kind of figures or any kind of way to paint the picture of – you guys did earlier. You know, you said you went to events and you guys would be maybe one of you know 10 women or something like that. But That's you a guys, generous number. <laughs> <laughs> one, of, yeah. one of maybe 20, yeah. 30. We would come to start our breakfast and it would be me and Meredith yeah. and maybe yeah. Tanya Phillips yeah, yeah. in my office. Yeah. Um, we'd show up to start our breakfast and I'm like, oh, that, I think that was exactly our conversation was we wanted to replicate that feeling, but for women. And I and also meet the unique needs of women who have different working hours, you know, have families and, and businesses and also need to, to be mindful of that. But as far as like specific tracking of metrics, that's something we, we don't have. It's something we should have, but we haven't. If there are, if, if there is someone tracking that metric, we don't have access to it. What I do have access to is there's a, a group called Pioneering Women who has done kind of research into this area. And in general, 11% of current companies in Kentucky are founded by women. But that that doesn't distinguish between tech entrepreneurship and, and business. And neither does Wiffle. So for us, that's a, a decent metrics because we don't distinguish between tech entrepreneurship and, and general entrepreneurship and small business and others. So 11% is the data that we do have. And that's from like 2018. Right. And just to clarify, the, the, the data collected, we it's the general we. Like whether it's, you know, Lexington – the state of Kentucky national averages. I mean, it's it's overall we're there's not a ton of data to be found on those types of specifics. So in Kentucky, like who could let's try to figure out whose responsibility would that be if that were to happen and somebody were to get that that survey data? Would that be Lexington Commerce for let's say for just doing Lexington or is that the state government who? Because I think that that's data that should be yeah that should be transparent. So whose job should that be in your opinion? As innovation hubs, I guess one we need to define what we what we're gonna what we're gonna measure. Are we gonna measure all entrepreneurship or tech entrepreneurship or, or probably both? And then who who are the best people who have access to that information? So I think you would look at your government and other organizations, the wonderful SBDC here locally, um, maybe CED, maybe with partnering with people like Wiffle who are working in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just if you are doing an, an, an impact survey, if you're doing any type of metric, ask people to identify how how much of your portfolio are, are female uh, or, or are women mm-hmm. and, and other minorities as well. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really important issue because it's, it's important to have the data because without the data, you really don't know the underlying problem right. and you don't know how to address it. You don't know what are the underlying uh, inputs are to produce the output of the the low numbers. So I think that's got to be figured out. But, you know, personally, I've I've been in cultures and I've been in situations, whether it's within a business or within some other organization, where there is a problem of diversity. And you want to kind of solve that, obviously, because with diversity comes a lot of different opinions. And it can create, if you don't have diversity, it can create situations where there's a bro culture or something like that. Because that's one thing that, you know, the startup space has been known for is companies that, you know, are founded and wait way too long to have diversity. And at that point, you know, sometimes it's too late. So I think it's a, it's a good point that we need to make that the data has got to be transparent so that, you know, somebody founding a company knows that, listen, like, here's why you need to have diversity and here's, you know, the underlying problem. Um, so I think that's something we need to, you know, challenge the community with um, and doing. And, and, you know, Middle Tech, you know, even our team, our Middle Tech team, we were – I mean, we've had six, when we were growing the co- company, we were six men. And then we started to realize, like, we've got to, we've got to fix this, you know. And, and there were ways that we, we were seeing that 
we needed to fix it. One way, it's, it's kind of slightly embarrassing, but it's just the way that the internet works nowadays is like one way we noticed was uh, we've got like four guys on our Instagram account and you can go to our discovery page and it's just all women on the discovery page. And that's one way that like triggered like, oh man, like there's not any diversity on our team and look at what our whole team's, you know, looking at our Instagram. Uh, it's just, and that was one thing. And then we just started to realize, okay, we need to start getting diversity. But we, we brought in more opinions. Now we've got um, Jacqueline, we've got Maggie. Uh, and it's really important. Now. It's, you notice a big difference on the team. Yeah, for sure. And I think that it's something that you have to be intentional about. It doesn't just kind of happen by accident. I think that was the reason that it started off that way. Because everyone that joined early on had reached out to Middle Tech wanting to help. And I think that's one of the things I would like to see focus on. I don't, I don't know if I have the solution to it, but how can we encourage women to reach out and want to be involved in technology and in entrepreneurship? I think is that's kind of the grand question to me is how can we let women know that they are welcome and they're one and, and let them know there are opportunities here. The misrepresentation. I mean, yeah. and I guess an example would be like if you lived 50 years ago and all you saw were male doctors, mm -hmm. you would assume that all doctors are male. And so seeing that there are women, women like you doing the things you want to do mm -hmm. and being welcome and and being heard in that community is a signal that that your dreams are achievable. Your startup dreams are able to be fulfilled and recognized. Mm -hmm. yeah. I would also say don't expect the women to come to you. Sure, exactly. That's what we figured out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you need to make yeah, an we got effort. Yeah, we got the a team of six before we were like, okay, let's... Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's the thing. Like, most people will reach out and they'll either find people that look and are socially like them. Right. I mean, you do it socially. You do it networking when you're hiring new people. It's just your natural. And, you know, that's why we're where you're seeing such a discrepancy of a lack of women is we're not seeing women invited to these panels and sharing their experience and knowing like, oh gosh, she did that. I can do that too. You know, and we're starting to see that with our new vice president. Women are like, oh yeah, we finally made yeah. some traction. We can make it to the White House or do X, Y, and Z, you know? So, I mean, but it takes intentional effort and energy. So it's not necessarily an easy fix. Like, hey, all we want women. And then women be like, yeah, great, we're coming. You know what I mean? It's, it's more of like, um, you know, asking and having these kind of conversations and seeing, well, okay, if it's a cultural thing, like, what are the things that would make women feel comfortable working with you? Mm -hmm. Or what are the types of things from a hiring perspective, that maybe we're only looking from the male perspective, that would make this job more attractive to a woman in tech or woman designer, whatever else, you know, those roles that you're looking for. Because I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, everybody has this kind of built in unconscious bias. Um, so noticing it and starting to be self-aware of like, okay, I'm only seeing it from my perspective. What are the things that I can do to broaden that perspective and see what those things would be that would make somebody want to work with you or whatnot? One of the things I started realizing on social media in general was if you follow all people who just agree with you and you get kind of this, in this thought bubble, you know, that's a really dangerous place to be. I feel like that's a big problem in social media right now, but it's the same thing in your company culture. If you only have people that look like you, act like you, talk like you, think like you, that's a really dangerous thing. And that's going to lead your company down oh, it's destroyed a companies. dangerous place. There's, yeah. there's a lot of examples to point to, you know, Uber, Uber being one, that's why that CEO was replaced. Yeah. Zenefits. I mean, I just know the, the software space, but there's plenty of examples, you know, on, on where it bites you. 
Well, and I mean, the research that we've done that really talks about culture is, I mean, when you have multiple perspectives, you don't get to that trouble point or pain point with like, the, or the tipping point. That's probably a good way to put it. Like, oh, no, we're, we're, we're too far. Because when you have that balance, um, you know, like, what's the, the phrase, like, you, you want to be surrounded by people smarter than you, yeah. you want to be in a room with people that will offer all the things that you can't offer, you could be the most brilliant person, but you're not brilliant in all the different areas. So the same thing goes for gender, you know, sexual preference, ethnicity, background. So all of those blended together, provide such a powerful, think tank really and it will only make your company more successful um or your product better because your you, brand would resonate better right i mean it's it's really quite powerful but it's it's kind of shocking how hard it is for people to understand the value of that it's like oh but it's we have to expand and the hiring process is that much longer or we have to invest this money into this type of branding or we have to hire all new models and all these kinds of things i mean you know to think of just being inclusive and having a diverse representation for whatever your product or industry is but ultimately i mean the numbers show that it's really it really does pay off yeah i think it, it starts at culture is kind of what i'm getting from the conversation here and this is kind of an open-ended broad question but what can startups and these companies do to kind of create more of a culture that can welcome in women without you know because i feel like you have to take those first steps so before you get those women in your culture what are some things you can do to be conscious of that and and start down the road of, of diversity and inclusion? Well, I think one thing that we can do early on is, um, you know, when we think about how entrepreneurs are represented in popular, pop, popular, popular culture, <laughs> um, you know, we, we think of Elon Musk, we think of Jeff Bezos, we think of Mark Zuckerberg. They're all straight white males, yeah. you know, um, for us in, in education. And then also, you know, highlighting, as you guys are trying to do, highlighting and finding female founders and, um, and minorities in startup to say, hey, there are people just like you doing exactly what you want to do. This is a place for you. It's really important. Mm -hmm. uh, go back, going back to that message of representation um, and just keep telling those stories until it becomes a normal where people are like, yes, this is a job. This is a job for me. There are people like me in the startup space being entrepreneurs. And um, so it, I think it starts early. It starts messaging. Uh, and I think it grows on itself. I think that's that's definitely a first step in that direction. Yeah. And to that point, you know, it sounds like you're almost describing, you know, you said it needs to happen earlier. What can the education systems do differently? Is there anything? Is that part of the problem? Is the curriculum at all? Is there anything wrong with that? I think what we're seeing in trends in education based on my time at MIT and then my time teaching um, recently at UK is that they are starting to encourage entrepreneurship education as part of the business school. And that is open to everybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but as a professor, when you're teaching, bring in female founders, highlight case studies that have female founders, try to include that equally so that the women in your class think that that is normal. It should be normal. But until it is, we need to push those stories and make that representation clear and obvious. Yeah. Something that recently happened uh, that I thought was really badass was Bumble's founder mm -hmm. taking that company public and having a baby like on her hip while she's doing that. Yeah. What what does an event like that do in the eyes of, of women that are in this same space? I mean, talk about how that kind of speaks to you and what that means to you as a woman that's in this space to see someone kicking ass like that and building a company up and then taking it public like that. To me, it says, wow, I need to up my game. Um, but on the other hand, it says, finally. Yeah. yeah. 
Agreed. Finally. Also that she, you know, that she is a working mother running a startup and, and having the support hopefully of, of her family and spouse in, in doing that. I also think it, it's something that we've noticed. And it's one way we reason we've, we designed Wiffle anyway, it starts at 4 PM in the hopes that women can attend and attend virtually, you know, being mindful of their other responsibilities that they carry at home, as well as the professional responsibilities that they carry. So um, but yes, seeing those stories is great, but also making sure that other young women see those stories and, and that they're highlighted, not just because she's a woman, but because she's a successful entrepreneur. Well, and I mean, the fact that we're seeing that and there, she's becoming a role model to women yeah. that you can have a family and it's not a flaw. I mean, that's a very old fashioned way of thinking of like, oh no, like she's not going to be able to do her job right because she's got to go home at five and pick up her kids and do that and cook dinner. And like, we need to nix all of that kind of thinking and realize that. And honestly, I'll say COVID's actually probably humbled a lot of people because we've all seen everybody's chaos at home when you're on a Zoom yeah. meeting, right? We're all having to be like two year old in the background, yeah. whether right. you're a, a father or a mother. Yeah. But honestly, I love it because it, it's hopefully going to fix our overall work culture, realizing, yeah, we're all human. We all have other things. You know, this hustle culture doesn't have to to kill you. You can have a healthy work-life balance and still be a badass. And you can still <laughs> achieve things and take out your, co- your, pub- your company public and all this kind of stuff. But, um, I mean, one of the biggest wins, I think, recently, and that just makes me feel, like, super excited was – and I think it started really happening in January – was with our calls, we had three new moms, all with their kids, either nursing or wrangling or whatever. We had a couple women like in the car going from their job to something else, and then the rest joining from home, you know, and the fact that they felt comfortable to show up however in whatever capacity that they can was like a humongous win. Like, okay, we're we're making because I've never seen that. I've never attended a professional women's event to where you could bring your child or that you could talk about that challenge or, you know, like when you especially, you know, we have like a ton of um, women who their husbands are also entrepreneurs and their approach to things and just the balance of all that stuff. So it was just so exciting to see that. And the fact that we do intros and let everybody kind of do like a who they are and what they do. And somebody, it might've been Liz from Awesome Inc. that pointed it out, but like, it's not just I'm so-and-so and I do this. It's I'm so-and-so and I do this and this and this and this. Like, it's this whole nice current resume of, like, all the things. And you can brag and you can self-promote a little bit and not feel weird about it. And also have a kid in your arms. And, you know, so, like, creating a space like that to me was our first – I mean, I think we've had some wins and we tried to do with the wins. So I'm like, we got to celebrate these things. But to me, that was a really big milestone for us to see – Three mamas, brand new mamas too. Not only on the call, but shout out to Lee Goatley, who is a coach with the Kentucky Small Business Development Center. She was presenting on the call with her newborn in her arms and just rocking the entire presentation, sharing other resources for other female entrepreneurs while, you know, holding her her newborn son. And it was just like, yes, this is exactly what we want to see. I think the media did a pretty good job of like highlighting that. I, I felt like, like I saw. Yeah, it seems like things different. are trending in the right way. Absolutely, I think it has. You know, it's definitely been for a while because I feel like recently, within the last maybe five years, a lot of companies have been giving almost like year leave for maternity and paternity uh, leave. I think that was something that was uh, eye-opening and you know opened my eyes to 
you know, a lot of companies, like you, you mentioned it earlier, you know, it's almost like a fault that, you know, women are, are having kids and being punished almost. And so giving them a year to both the man and woman, I think was, was something I've been noticing that companies are really starting to be more conscious of these kind of things in the media is, is p- painting a better picture. But I think it's important to note that those are in professional careers, but you know, there are other careers and that don't offer that that opportunity and it will entrepreneurs in one, like okay. taking a year off your, your startup um, right. or, you know, or if you work an hourly job um, you know, some of the more service industries may not offer you that opportunity, yeah. but I'm glad to see it is a trend starting in, in the United States, but I hope that that continues to grow throughout the workforce, regardless of mm-hmm. status. For a job that's an hourly rate kind of job, whose responsibility, like how can we fix that part of it? Is that something that the government needs to be mandating to where you get some sort of credit back for having a child and not being able to work your job? Like, how can we fix that? Because that does seem like a problem that is a difficult one to, to tackle. I think before it gets to government mandate, I think we need as we as a society need to decide that families are important for both men and women mm-hmm. and, and look at some other programs from other countries that are out there and decide what works best for the United States. But as a culture, we need to decide that families are important and they're important to both parents and that both parents are expected to participate. And again, in COVID, you've seen fathers step up and, and, and they're homeschooling from home, just like moms are, and they're balancing and trading off like, oh, I'll watch them while you're on your Zoom meeting. And then you watch them while I'm on my Zoom meeting. And having to, you know, co-parenting during this time um, has really highlighted how things have changed over the last, you know, 20 years. But in as a culture, we need to decide what our priorities are, uh, and that will drive public policy in my mind. That's the best. That's the best transition. Yeah, and I, I do want to touch on something, and this is I want to navigate this um, best way I can because this is a tough question. You know, as a founder, you should know diversity is important, but as a founder, you have to balance. You know, you're starting your company, and in my opinion, you should start on talent diversity you should start on let's build a company and get it going and build a successful company is there a point that comes when it's too late to have diversity like talk about um like is there a supply problem because one thing that i see in the entrepreneurship community is uh you want to again start the company and get as much talent in there as possible and a lot of time the talent you know like we were talking about earlier there is not that diversity necessarily in the tech talent or you have to go look for it so i want to talk about you know, how should a founder think about diversity as early as possible? I guess my perspective would be when you're reviewing your candidates, are you throwing a wide enough net? And why wouldn't a difference of perspective be important as early on as, as possible? Especially if you're, you know, as we've talked about, you know, when you're creating a brand and you're selling to the wider market, um, I mean, what is it, 52% of the population are women? You know, so um, considering their unique perspective, why wouldn't you prioritize that kind of perspective on your team? And if you're finding that you are mindful and you want to make sure that you're hiring people who have different perspective and have the skills that you do not have or have the strengths that you are weak in and you're not getting the kind of talent that you want or the kind of diversity in applicants that you want. Where do you go and how can you rephrase things to make sure that you are? Yeah, I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at is like if there's not the diversity applying, you know, at some point you've got to throw away resumes because you're not getting diversity, right? That's kind of what I'm getting at is how do you as a founder navigate that, right? Because you want diversity as a founder, but maybe they're not applying and how do you, you know? Yeah, so I mean, one is your network. Are you just looking in your direct network and 
why are you not expanding that? So putting the effort to to expand your search to be more inclusive, you know, by default, certain networks are not diverse. I mean, it's goes back to everything that we've said before. It's I mean, you're around people that you relate to. And you know, it's just it. That's an easy first step. I mean, I think a lot of times when you're wanting to hire you wanting to move quickly, right? I mean, you want to make progress and you want to find the right people. But I think the the focus of finding the right people with diversity or different, you know, perspectives and those things are part of that piece. So it is worth the extra effort and the time and the broader net and all of those kinds of things. Also, something we found is language is huge. So by default, most people will probably phrase things within your direct perspective. And we've noticed like that there is a huge difference in how things are phrased if they're directed towards men versus women. Mm-hmm. Um, especially like we did a ton of research on the, the the VC world. Questions that are asked are slanted in very different ways. So I would even say like, oh, how are you building your job description? What language are you using? What types of culture and benefits and types of things are you including in your job that might be more attractive to women or women with families or families in general, or you know what I mean? And I think that's a really hard one that a lot of people don't think of. So, I mean, it could just be having, you know, a woman read the job description and say, does this resonate with you? What would be even better is finding a mentor that is a woman and have those hard conversations with her and ask her, like, would this be an attractive job for you? You're in tech. What, tell me what the red flags are here. Because those are things that I'm sure she'd be like, ooh, you know, like this makes me think of X, Y, and Z. It's the work. It's going to be work, you know, but shifting that perspective. And we all have that bias, unconscious bias. We all do it, men, women, everything. But having that self-awareness and then these baby steps of trying to check yourself a little bit, being like, okay, this is how I interpret this. Can you give me your perspective? And then seeing, you know, if certain job boards are whatnot are, you know, with algorithms and all these other things, are you getting sorted because of you have on LinkedIn, you have six male employees, and maybe one of their algorithms likes to show your job description to men versus women. I don't I mean, those things are constantly changing. You know what I mean? So um, it's a lot of these like, tiny little little details, but I think tiny shifts in those types of things, I think could be really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And to add on to that, what are you actively take control of it post to women in tech job boards. Yeah. Talk to recruiters and ask them, hey, I specifically am looking for diverse perspectives and, and I would like some minority representation on my team to make my team stronger. Um, reach out to to female colleagues in that space and say, hey, I'm hiring. Don't be afraid to approach someone on LinkedIn and say, hey, I know you got a great gig over here. We're building our startup. Is this something that you'd be interested in coming over as a co-founder, as a, as a founding teammate? Mm-hmm. Um, be active, like pursue talent the same way you would with another male colleague and be like, you're the best. And I want you on my team because I think you can make me strong. You can make this company strong. I think the common thread there is it's not going to come naturally. You can't just expect women to come and be like, okay, I'm here. I want to, I want to help you build your company. It's going to take work. And I think you have to realize that, but you have to understand it's going to pay off in the long run to have those diverse perspectives. If you're serious about starting a company that you want to be successful, you need to be very mindful of that. And you need to understand it's going to take some work. It's going to take some effort, maybe some uncomfortableness to go out and have those conversations and be told, Hey, you're doing this the wrong way. And I think that's something that founders need to be aware of. Um, but something that we've kind of discussed here that I think we would like to start changing is 
uh, there's not enough women that are kind of being uplifted to be an example for, for other women in the community. Uh, and you mentioned a couple names throughout this podcast, Liz Brown Evans being one of them, who is a great friend of mine. I actually really look up to Liz because of she just, she kicks ass. Honestly, she's awesome. Um, so it doesn't have to be within tech. I know this is a tech podcast, but name some women, give some shout outs uh, to women in the community who are doing some really cool things. Gosh, so for one, I want to give a big shout out to SOAR. Um, and they launched their, what is it? Their, their co-starters. They had 23 female founders in Eastern Kentucky kick off this year. I mean, how amazing is that? Yep. And quite a few of them have been joining us with their babies on Deliffle. And so we get to hear those stories and, and meet some of those women. But I mean, to me, that's powerful to have, because I mean, if you think of just the breakdown of Kentucky and the resources, right? I mean, SOAR has been a great facilitator in that region, but to have 23 female founders, that's, that's actually a really big number. I know it sounds probably light, but to me, that's that's a huge, huge win. Yeah. And then we work a lot with the, the Small Business Development Center. They provide a lot of great resources. We've been talking about ones, either women-focused or minority-focused businesses. They do a lot of free coaching. And so one of the things that, I mean, when I started my business, I didn't know where to go, where to find these, you know, how to set up your LLC, where to file certain things and whatnot. And a lot of people I don't think know there's the free resources that are available. And ours is the bluegrass, but there's quite a few throughout the nation of um, resources. Yeah. I mean, I mean, in Launch Blue right now across our cohorts, 35% of our companies are female founded or co-founded. So, you know, we have people like Kate Van Pelt with SnapTech. We have uh, Dr. Carrie Schaefer, who's the the lead in Memetico. We have Vashon Mosby, yeah. who is, is a great beautiful light, but also um, founder of Vontech amongst other of her businesses. Oh, yeah. That's only just one of like three businesses that she's founded. And then we have um, Kelly Wright with Fresh Eye Solutions, who just was on Fiverr. Both Vashon and Kelly yeah, were both so on, on Fiverr Cross last week. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, th- we had three of the five people pitching Fiverr Cross last week were female founded companies and, and yep um so i think it's not that they're not out there it's you have to go where they are and tell them that they're include that they're welcome in the space that you've created mm-hmm. uh i mean the numbers that we, we've been talking about um and now i'm not saying that that entrepreneurship in general doesn't have a problem i mean you know we've talked about if you go to uh, womenvc.com they have a great study they just completed about women not only represented in venture capitalists but also represented as far as investment and crunchbase just did a, a report that came out and only 2.3 percent of vc funding globally goes to women-led startups 2.3 percent uh you think of how many billions of dollars are are invested globally in entrepreneurship every year and only 2.3 percent go to women yeah and the year before was the highest it was an all-time high of 2.8 yeah 2019 2.8 all-time high for women globally, yeah. globally. so if you were a young woman entering entrepreneurship entrepreneurship space, you already feel at a disadvantage in being funded. Mm. Um, and we were very lucky to attend a, a Techstars virtual event recently where we had, there were two women, Dr. Dane, Dana Kane and Dr. Laura Howe, um, who had done a, a recent study back in, in uh, published in 2019, I think mm-hmm. in October. Um, they had actually done a, a study at a recent event where they were seeing how investors were questioning the different founders and the questions that were posed to male founders as opposed to female founders were different. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that set them at disadvantage. But female founders were asked questions that were loss averse. They were like risk prevention, prevention mm-hmm. questions. Like I think a couple of examples they gave is, you know, um, how are you going to prevent uh, loss loss of customers from your platform where men were asked, how are you going to gain new customers? Mm-hmm. 
is an example that they gave. Yeah. Um, and so men were asked about the potential gains that they were going to realize, and women were asked how they were going to protect and um, how are they going to be risk averse. So even in the investor community right off is think mindfully about the questions that you pose to founders, um, also the pitches that you review. Mm-hmm. And and think, am I being more critical of this person and more risk averse with this person because it's a female founder? Uh, and also also representation on your fund manager board. Do you have female representation? Female VCs are two times more likely to invest in female founded companies than than male VCs are. Mm-hmm. So having that representation and opportunity is important. Well, and I think there's also a very low percentage of how many female VCs there are represented. I think it's like 12% or something like that. Yeah. So like back to representation, you know, I mean, it's if, if you're having that change or that diversity in perspective and how you're phrasing questions, I mean, and the language too. I mean, so you're seeing the trend of women are getting kind of set up for failure in some sense because of the way I'm someone's phrasing the question to them. And it takes a significant amount of training to be able to one, be able to catch if you're getting a prevention versus a promotion type language and then have the skill to be able to, well, let's flip this question and answer it like it was a promotion question. You know, I mean, it's just, and all of these women founded businesses that are making it up to this point have already had a very, you know, like steep uphill climb. You've heard of, you know, needing to be a unicorn. We're having to prove ourselves above and beyond that we're worth investing in and the skills and the talent that we're bringing to the table is exponentially and was like higher than your average of your our male counterparts. Yeah, and we can send you the the links to these studies so that people can go and research for themselves and kind of understand what the data is and what what they can do. But I think our advice and based on well, based on the advice of um, Dr. Kans and, and Dr. Huang, I would say is if a female entrepreneur is faced in a, an investor meeting and they're faced with a um, a prevention question to actually answer to the growth part of that question because people who are who are answered to the growth and the in the um, possibility question are actually much more likely to be funded but it's how would you know that if, if you weren't given that information and as a woman if you look at the statistics and you think oh I'm much less likely to get funding than anyone else wouldn't that be somewhat check you when you thought about starting a a tech startup. And also, I mean, I think as you become conscious of these things, actually, I mean, making a note and saying like, hey, maybe we should rephrase this question or looking at your list of, you know, when you're mentoring or coaching and, you know, like seeing the difference between if you're having a female founded company and a male founded company, how different are those questions that you're drafting that you would ask them? Is there a difference? And like I said, a lot of this is probably very unconscious and it's just something that it's the way you're taught and the way that things have kind of happened. But this is really the way that we need to start noticing it. Um, very mindful. Yeah. And I mean, shout out to Keith McMunn, who's um, the director of the Awesome Inc. Fellowship. He sits on our selection committee for Launch Blue. And during our interviews for selection committee to the program, he has messaged me before and been like, you know, just keep track and make sure that we are not asking different questions from our female uh, founders than we are male. And, and of course, our selection pay has been great and, and they haven't. And our numbers show that. But but this is that he was mindful of that. Right. And he understood that that's that the data supports that that, that happens. So um, here in, in, in Lexington, I'm glad that we have, you know, people who are wor- in the ecosystem who are aware and who are are actively trying to be mindful. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the key. There is awareness because I was not aware of the VC questions or any of that. That's really interesting, and I'm glad somebody did the data. You know, somebody needs to do the data here in Kentucky. Right. 
Somebody, another challenge, you know, I'm going to bring it up again. We got another day. Well, I mean, it's also like we said, like that, that different perspective is valuable. I mean, in that same report from, from women VC, um, you know, they report that funds that have female partners, um, you know, have a 1.5% increase in fund return each year and are, have 9.7% more profitable exit. So, I mean, again, we'll give you the links to this data and people can go read that, that information for themselves. But I mean, I, I know how you like, you want the metrics because, you know, it's like you can argue with a lot of things in experiential, if you, you know, if you bring your experience as the only reference point, but data doesn't lie. Data doesn't lie. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think uh, we started getting to it there, but we want to kind of transition into this, this Lexington and Kentucky startup ecosystem. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what we're doing right right now, because you mentioned uh, right there, you know, Keith being mindful of it, being aware. Let's dive into some other things. This, this ecosystem is doing well uh, with the theme of, of diversity. Continuing to create an atmosphere where women are seen and heard. And so that other women who are looking into this and saying, hey, is this a job perspective for me or is this the right time to start my startup? And they see other women doing it and they're being highlighted and they're seen at five across and they're seen like Elizabeth Rosenthal, who is a judge at five across. They see that representation. They're like, okay, yeah. And it's not just female representation. Obviously, we want um, all minorities represented. But seeing that is important because it makes you feel like you belong. Um, you know, just from my own experience, like, you know, sitting in class at on Harvard campus and, and looking around in my finance classes, I mean, you can probably guess what the metrics were. Uh, and even raising your hand to ask a question in an environment where you are very much the minority f- can be daunting. Uh, it can feel like even if no one is bullying you or aggressively shutting you down, it can feel um, like you don't necessarily belong. So um, just continuing to see that representation and include that is really important. Yeah, and I would say, you know, like having those people be in um, more public places. So asking folks to be on panels, having that breakdown. I mean, yeah, like this this last Five Across was great. Having both men and women judges, same with all the the different, the breakdown of the teams. Also, I would say like supporting, even if you are not physically going to be attending a little event, if we're mm-hmm. having one of our women-only versions, you know, like sharing it, like tell people. And other, and there's quite a few other women-based organizations in town, too, which we can definitely share as well. I mean, but promoting that within your network because, one, it will help broaden the attendance and awareness of it all. But then it's going to be helping you because you're going to be broadening your network, showing like, hey, we here support women in business. That will help Middle Tuck grow and hire some other badass women. And You know what I mean? So it's kind of this like nice – a good snowball effect of, of if you're supporting the ecosystem – that is dedicating its time and effort into these efforts, then they win, you win, and then it just broadens and and makes, um, you know, the Lexington startup community stronger. And I mean, like, shout out to Who Got the Money. They've added the Female Founded Startup of the Year yeah. Award, uh, which is um, which is supported by Marrow, which is a, a local branding agency, and, and Adam Brown, who runs that. Uh, who Got the Money, which is run by Comlex, uh, Commerce Lexington um, Economic Development. Uh, they run that event every year, and, and we, we are proud to assist and partner on that event and and they founded that new award genre um, in partnership with Marrow. And so just, again, highlighting female founded startups. This, this last um, year, it was uh, Sarah Alessi from Flywire, who is a great uh, CTO and and woman in tech and leader in tech. So, um, you know, shout out to to her and, and to Flywire, who's doing great things. But there are, there are a lot of other female founded startups out there. You just have to actually make them feel like this is a space for them. Yeah. 
I think an organization that's doing a great job right now that's been mentioned multiple times is Awesome Inc. I, I worked at Awesome Inc. right after college for about a year, and that's where I met some of the most influential women in my life. Uh, Emily Worley, um, Liz Brown, who we already brought up, uh, Amanda Murray, Maggie Bessett, like all of those women kind of showed me like this is, I don't know, it's it's almost embarrassing for me to say that I didn't understand that inherently before, but reinforced working with women. It's just, it provides a different perspective. It's just totally necessary. But let's let's now move on to what, what we should be doing better in the community uh, as far as diversity goes. I think we've touched on it is also making sure that if you have a panel or you're recruiting um, for an event that you make sure that you have female representation um, in a public facing part of that event. Um, not just women, but other minorities as well, of course. And I think another thing would be if you find an event that is open to all genders, that is focused on female entrepreneurship or focused on on issues for female founders, don't don't avoid it. Go to it. Under, read the studies. Share the information. Um, ask what can I do in a situation to make room at the table or make space or be aware of the challenges that they face and, and add value in situations where I can highlight them or make sure that they're being heard. Uh, so I think those are those are things that you can actively do right now from wherever you are, whether you're a startup founder or an ecosystem player. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are those are easy things to to give your time to in order to see improvement in this area. Yeah. Where do you see uh, Wiffle going? So let's talk about the future. What what does this look like? Uh, We're going to take over the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, gosh, so yeah. So our plan for the 2021 is, I mean, we're expanding our programming. We've really enjoyed the digital virtual aspect of it. And I think there's a lot of value that can be ongoing once we can even gather in person again. Um, so providing some more, um, I think, just easy access. You know, we've talked about doing some like Facebook lives where Laura and I either have a conversation about a topic that's come up or we invite a guest in and have, you know, just something so anybody can attend and just pick up that content. Um, We'll continue being able to offer kind of our monthly spotlight events um, as well as our happy hours when we can do that again. Um, But then bringing in those kind of all inclusive, all access types events. So, um, you know, our next one's going to be about um, uh, co-founders. So male, female co-founders, and we're going to be talking through their experiences and having real life stories. And, you know, um, well, the conversations you guys had with um, Jacob and Sarah, we're having them join us and, you know, to talk about the stuff that Jacob learned just by being in the room, sitting next to Sarah in these business meetings was extremely eye-opening. And so I think having these real life stories, that's what's going to resonate with people. I mean, until you experience it or hear it from somebody you trust, that's what's really going to kind of sit with you. So we have that and then we'll be planning some, especially on the investment side. So we'll be focusing on, um, you know, like the VC side, what it would be like to get a business loan, just the different types of the process, but also the challenges that are being faced for women-owned businesses. Awesome. Well, Laura, Meredith, thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation with us. Uh, we're excited to to facilitate more conversation like this within our community. Um, but let's go ahead and give more of a plug to, to Wiffle. Where can they find you guys? What's the social tags? The web? I know you said you just said you don't have a website just yet, but uh, talk about how people can get involved in Wiffle if they want to. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, we have a Wiffle channel within the Startup Lex Slack channel. So that's a really great way to, if you're already in the Startup Lexington community, we have a channel there. And so that's an easy plug. Um, and then you can find us either as Women Innovators Founders or Women Innovators Founders Leaders on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. So 
follow us there. Um, we have a mail, a mail list. So if you attend an event, we'll keep you in the loop with the newsletter and whatnot as well. Thank you.